Well, good morning. I want to uh, start right off, uh, dive right into this, and uh, share with you a verse that I read when I was a pretty, well, I was a new Christian, probably within my first year of, of uh, uh, being a Christian. Uh, and here's the, here's the verse. It says this, Paul says, I'm afraid just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, <clears throat> that your minds may somehow be led, led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And maybe you've read that, maybe, maybe that's new to you, but <clears throat> when I read that, uh, I was amazed when I read that. So here's the backstory, not to that verse, but to backstory to my reading that. I read that, I came to the Lord in my mid-30s, and about 15 years prior to reading this verse, prior to coming to the Lord, I'd heard the gospel. Someone shared the gospel with me in college, and it made perfect sense. I'd never heard the gospel before, and I responded. Um, not sure what responded means. I think I said a prayer at that time to accept Christ, as I recall. Um, but as I continued then through college and starting my career and starting a marriage and, and uh, for the next several years, uh, I found that I was basically the same person. Because I lived with me, right? You live with you. You know what you're like. I knew what was really in my heart, and I knew what was really in my head, and I uh, covered that up the best I could. And after uh, probably several years after college, after just struggling and thinking this gospel is good news, but it doesn't work for me, I just said, you know what, forget this. And I told the Lord, um, if that's the best you can do, I've asked you to help me. If that's the best you can do, I'm done. And I took all my Bibles, and I took all my books, and I took all my uh, albums and cassette tapes. I don't think CDs were even out yet. But I took all that stuff, and I put them in boxes, and I put them on the curb. And the garbage man came and took them, and they're probably in a landfill today. And I told the Lord, um, from this point on, I'm going to do whatever I want with whoever I want, whenever I want. And that's the way I proceeded to live for the next eight or nine years. And when I finally surrendered to the Lord, when he finally got my attention again, and I finally said, I surrender to you, God. I'm sorry, I think I've seen Christianity as a self-improvement program, and I haven't improved. I got sick of me. Now, my wife beat me to it. I think she was sick of me several years before that. But I finally got sick of me, and I said, Jesus, I surrender to you. And not long after that, within the first year, is when I read this verse. And when I read that verse, I just, it just hit me. This is great news. Thank you, God. Because it told me two things about the Christian life. Well, one, really, what it told me was that the Christian life is sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's it. Just be devoted to Christ. And I just thought, man, this Christian life is so basic. I think I tried to complicate it before. It is so basic. And that's what we're going to do today is talk about basics when it comes to worship. So I have the privilege of kicking off this new series, and we'll kind of do a flyby on worship in the weeks to come. Uh, I know we'll dig a little deeper into some things, but uh, it's just the basics. And so we often think of worship as the songs we just sang. We often think of worship in this context. You say that, uh, hey, we used to go to a church way back when in a different city, and man, they had great worship. Or this place where was, worship this morning was really good, I mean, exceptionally good. 
And we say that, and we, we get what that means. Yeah, that's, that's not inaccurate to say that. But the reality is this about worship, is that worship isn't anything out of the ordinary. You're probably already doing it, even if you didn't sing this morning. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, if you're not a believer in Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with him, you're probably already worshiping. And here's why, because worship is the most natural thing you and I will ever do. Most natural thing. It's nothing out of the ordinary. So here's what worship looks like, okay? Hit that next slide for me. We worship when we, kind of three levels here, when we assign value to something or to someone. So I perceive that someone or something, some activity, some endeavor, whatever it might be, I perceive that that person or that thing has some sort of value to me, okay? The next step is we worship when we start to focus on and arrange our lives around that thing or around that person, So it not only has some value, some benefit to me, but I know I'm arranging my resources and my time and my conversation and my mental energies, uh, the things that I possess. I'm rearranging things around that person or that thing. And then finally, we worship when we become identified with that person or that thing. So you think of a a person who's maybe a a bodybuilder, not just somebody who works out, but somebody who's a body. I mean, they really work out. They're really into it. They become identified with that. Joe, you know, Joe down the, bo- the bodybuilder. Somebody who is identified, deeply identified with alcohol or drug use. That's become somewhat of their identity. Maybe somebody who is an investor. They don't just, uh, they're not just a good steward of things that God has given them. Uh, they are watching their stocks every second of the day. They are focused on that. It takes up time and energy and resources and mental energy, and they become identified with that person or or with that thing. And so uh, it's not wrong to enjoy working out, certainly not wrong to enjoy a drink with friends or enjoy a drink with dinner, something like that. Not wrong to be a good steward, to, uh, to invest wisely, and Jesus spoke about that in the Gospels, right? But here's the truth. You can enjoy these things and so many more. You can enjoy these things without worshiping them. That's healthy. That's good. But you can also get to the point where you worship these things without enjoying them. Now it's bondage. The thing that used to be healthy and good has now become bondage because I've given myself to that. All right? So biblical worship is this. It's when we assign value when we focus on and arrange our lives around and we become identified with Jesus. We just become identified with Jesus. People call you the worst thing that they think they can, they can come up with. You're a Christian. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, become identified with Jesus. Well, the background of the word um, worship is really straightforward. It doesn't require a deep dive or a big study. Worship equals worthship. What's worth in my life, in your life, what's worth assigning value to, arranging my time and our, my resources around, being identified with? Here's the, uh, here's the literal definition, to, ki- or to show reverence to, to kiss the ground when prostrating before a superior. We'll hit that again in just a couple minutes. Ready to fall down and prostrate oneself and to adore on one's knees. And I find it fascinating that the, right, the, the word that the biblical writers used to define worship describes primarily a body position, 
a physical stature, like uh, Maddie, who talked about earlier in one of those songs. The word that the Bible writers use primarily defines your body position, but it's even deeper than that because worship, biblical worship, is doing all these things in here inwardly before I ever do them outwardly. So in my heart, I bow down. In my heart, I prostrate before. In my heart, I praise the Lord before I ever do it. Could you go back one slide for me, please? I do that, uh, do that fit internally before I ever do it externally. That's what real worship is all about, okay? So we bow down internally before we do it. And so worship is first and foremost, it's how we live. Now, if you would, thank you. It's in the heart. It all starts in the heart, and then it flows outward. Out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water, the Bible says. Yeah, it starts here, and it flows outward, okay? But ultimately, worship is surrender. Here's what Paul says in Romans. I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So worship starts in here, and Paul's saying, but it does involve your body. Surrender that. That is true and proper worship. I want to go back to this thought that worship is something you're probably already doing. There's a reason you're probably already doing it. There's a reason you're already doing it, and that's this, because you were made for it. I said earlier, worship is the most natural thing you'll ever do. Yeah, you were made for it. We were created to worship God. Psalm 150, the last verse of Psalm 150 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 26. He says this. Believe it or not, this has to do with worship. He says, the birds don't sow, reap, stow away. The flowers don't toil or spin. Clothes don't grow. He closed the grass of the field. And the context here, what Jesus is saying is, hey, when these things that I've created, when these things, when it comes to them receiving what they need for daily life or activity, I think his point is they don't sweat it. They don't sweat it when it comes to getting what they need for day-to-day life. But I think there's another thing implied here un- underneath what he says. And the implication is this. If you've ever stood out by a river or a pond or a field or maybe been hiking, maybe you've been in in the mountains somewhere and you just pause and be still and just look around and just listen to what you hear and look at what you see, you know what you see these things doing? They're just doing what they were made to do. They're worshiping the Lord. They're, They're not sweating it. They're just worshiping the Lord. They're doing what they create were created to. Inanimate Creation works that way too. Look at this next slide. Works the same way with things that don't have breath. The heavens and the skies and the earth. Even the stones cry out. Everything God made is made to worship him, to magnify him. Right, Mylon? Yeah. It's all made to point back to him. Let everything that has breath and everything that doesn't have breath praise the Lord. But it's not just, it's also hardwired into, into us because if you're a believer, it's your calling, it's your mission, it's your job to worship him. If you're a believer, take a look at this next slide. You're a priest. 
And God's word says there are certain things that the priests are to do, and that is to minister before the Lord. So when you minister to somebody else, you're ministering to the Lord. When we pray for somebody, we're ministering to the Lord. When we help someone, we're ministering to the Lord. When we lead worship, when we do all the things you do all day long, you're ministering to the Lord if you're a believer in Christ. It's your job, but it's also a privilege. Accountants, you know, what does an accountant do? An accountant accounts, right? And a farmer farms. And a plumber plums. And a Christian worships. It's part of the job description. It's just what you do. It just comes spontaneously. Well, you notice something about um, worship as you read through the New Testament. Something I think is pretty fascinating. Worship starts to become uh, decentralized. It's no longer uh, part of an institution. It's no longer relegated to just uh, seasons and ceremonies and places and times. And then there's uh, no reference, for instance, in the New Testament, there's no reference to worship with regard to Sunday morning or their version of Sunday morning. There's no reference to that whatsoever. What you see in the New Testament instead is you see people living and working and worshiping and going about life just in him, in Jesus. And here's what it looks like. Looks like whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. The, the New Testament just describes life. We like to, there's one of these church phrases we, we like to use uh, doing life together. There it is. Just, just life in Christ. And other people get to watch. And they'll either say, What the heck is your deal? I don't get you. Or they say, I don't understand this, but I'm kind of drawn to whatever it is you have. Tell me about this. But we just do life. Paul said this. He said uh, to uh, uh, the Greeks, he said, in him, in Jesus, we live and we move and we have our being. We just kind of live life and we do it in Christ. But like us, the New Testament believers did gather. And for that, the Bible gives us some instruction Here's what it shows us. It shows us a healthy mixture of expressions all across the board. Some of them are very demonstrative. Some of them are more outward. Some of them are more quiet, uh, back in the corner, in the dark corner, uh, everything in between, okay? Some of them involve emotions. Some don't. Where it involves a demonstrative um, expression, where it involves emotion, it's never the demonstration or the emotion just for their sake, for, for a show, it's not just for that, that sake, not for that benefit, but there's a lot of ways to express worship, as you can see, and so many more that aren't on that list. But God is so good, so wise, that he gives us one kind of overarching guideline that covers all of it, okay? Here's what he says. Paul says this. Uh, he says, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And so in this 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about worship. Okay, he's talking about prophecy. But everything should be done in a fitting and an orderly way. Now like us, maybe you've been in a lot of churches over the years. We've been in a ton of churches with Teen Challenge over the years. And we've been in churches, honestly, that 
everything is the order of the day, and I mean everything, right? Um, with no order whatsoever, no oversight, just kind of let it rip. And the danger there is that um, sometimes we can kind of force things, trying to think that we're getting the Holy Spirit's moving here, and we can force something. We've been in churches, and maybe you have too, on the other end of the spectrum, where we don't permit anything as far as an expression of worship. Nothing. They have everything. We have order. And over here, maybe we stifle the Holy Spirit who wants to show himself in a different way or somebody who's wired to be more expressive in their worship. But God says to do it all, allow all of it, but it has to be edifying. It has to build up the body, and it has to be good for everybody. And leave out the chaos, leave out the theatrics. Okay, we don't, don't need that. So as long as we're talking about outward expression, here's the reality we all face. You might be facing this morning. Who knows? Uh, the reality is this. You know Jesus. He's your Savior. He's your Lord. You love him. You surrendered to him. And... Um, you come to, to church or you get up in the morning to have your time with the Lord or you go to your small group or a group of friends where you do a Bible study or something and you're just not feeling it. Just don't feel it. You might be, like I said, you might be in that space this morning, just not feeling it, but I'm here, okay? Maybe you're just in a funk. Sometimes that happens. I can't tell you how many times my wife and I have driven to church. This has never happened at Radiant Church, of course. No, we've driven to church and gone, you know, I ain't feeling this, man. I am not feeling this. Right now, it sounds really nice to be home, like a nice spring day, out on the deck at 9 a.m., 10 a.m., uh, 10, 17 a.m., just watching the cars go by and reading a book or something. But we're going to church anyway. Sometimes you just get in that space. And for those times, I think an old saying applies. And the saying is this, choices lead and feelings follow. My choices lead, feelings will come along for the ride. But if I let my feelings lead, then I'll never get up and move. And sometimes, that's the point, sometimes you just have to get up and move. Kelsey referenced that. Sometimes you just have to get your body up uh, and move and get yourself out of the way, so to speak. Here's David's experience. He said, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? That's the fact. And now here's what he's telling himself. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So moving is surrender. Moving is surrender. And God's promise is if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you, right? Isaiah says elsewhere, we should put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. Same idea. So to be clear, let me be really crystal clear. I am not trying to convince you to do something that is not you, okay? I'm not saying if you're um, quiet and con contemplative, you know, and you just like to be back in the dark and just you and the Lord, that you need to step out, man, and get out here in the aisle and dance like David danced. Please don't. I'm not saying if you're inclined to get out and David like, dance like David dance and be demonstrative that you need to find a dark corner and you need to bow silently and keep a lid on it and pray like Hannah prayed in 1 Samuel, right? Just quiet. And, and I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that at Radiant Church, we have room for all kinds of expressions 
of worship, all kinds of them within biblical guidelines. Within biblical guidelines, man, worship how you want. I like to get on my knees, and I like to get on my knees because, A, he's worth it, and I'll just tell you honestly, I never feel like it. I don't. I don't feel like it. It seems silly to me, and the enemy always talks to me. I always hear his voice saying different crap, and it is crap. Uh, And so that's why I do it anyway. All right, sometimes you just have to take a step. Well, here's an umbrella truth from Jesus that kind of wraps up everything I've said so far. From John 4, his conversation with the Samaritan woman. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And without diving into all that and taking that all apart, um, what it shows us, if you read that, that'd be a great whole passage, John 4, to, to meditate on this week. Read and meditate and pray over. But what it shows us is that worship is basic, and it encompasses everything I just said. God is worthy of worship. He deserves worship. Uh, Worship is natural. It begins in the heart, then it's expressed outwardly. It's not confined to a certain place or a certain time. There's a command to worship. As I said, a good act of worship this week would be to meditate on that. So as I close, and I invite the the, uh, worship team to come. As I close, I'm going to shift gears. Uh, because everything that I just told you, I hope that, that uh, you've heard, maybe you haven't heard anything new. Maybe you have. Even if you heard something this morning that you've heard before, I hope that it feeds your soul. I hope that it's, it's uh, maybe uh, got a little twist on it, something you ever had, had never thought of before. But regardless, I hope that your soul is encouraged. But everything I've said this morning primarily is for the head. It's more teaching. And that's good. That's appropriate. We need that. And so when I say I want to shift gears there, what I mean now is that uh, we've said that worship really begins in the heart, and then it's expressed outwardly. We often worship by um, saying thank you for his, his blessings, his benefits, his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, and 100% appropriate. Don't stop doing that. 100% appropriate. But another level of worship gets down below those circumstances. Good circumstances, negative circumstances, everything in between. There's another level of worship down below all of that. And that's where our spirit, as Paul says, our spirit connects with his spirit and tells us we're children of God. There's another, another level of worship down there that is not contingent on anything he's done, anything he's going to do, anything I'm asking for. It's just a natural response when I'm confronted with something or someone that's beyond me, that's bigger than me. Just a revelation of, holy cow. He is so majestic. He is so good. He's so worthy. Isaiah experienced that in Isaiah chapter 6. He says, I saw the Lord. And Isaiah's response when he saw the Lord was, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I am a sinner. And when he saw the magnitude of that, it caused him to worship. John saw it too in the book of Revelation. I love this. John in Revelation chapter 1 heard a voice behind him 
And when he turned, he saw it was Jesus. And John writes it this way. He says, when I saw him, I fell down as though dead. When I was uh, in, I think, my first year of college, yeah, um, I went home one weekend for a visit, and I went to see my brother-in-law, who was my age, so we were 19 or whatever. Uh, I went to watch him play a fast-pitch softball game, and I happened to be looking at him. He's 19 years old. And I happened to be looking at him. He's standing in center field, and he fell down, dead, cardiac arrest. And so years later, when I read this from John, I, when I saw Jesus, I fell down as though dead. That's the image in my mind. It's not pretty. It's not a bow. It's not a curtsy like you do to the, the queen or the king. It's not uh, respectful. It's not honorable. It's just in a heap. When I saw Jesus, I fell down as though dead. It's a natural response when we're confronted with him, confronted with the weight of our sin. We get sick of ourselves. Just surrender. Just surrender to him. So toward that, uh, I appreciate the, uh, I appreciate all the songs we sing. The songs we sang this morning, I most appreciate. You know why? Because it didn't have any mention of me in them. And it had no mention of you. Nothing that this is what God's done for me or how special I am. And those things are true. Those are, those are appropriate songs. Those are biblical. Most of them are biblical songs. Uh, but those are good. But these songs leave me out of it. The only personal pronouns used, me, I, us, them, is with regard to us projecting something toward him. We adore you. I adore you. Let us adore him. Things of that nature. Okay? No mention of my life or my circumstances in some of these worship songs. In fact, Chuck Colson said this. He said in a book, he said that first century believers never tried to prove the validate, never tried to validate the gospel by telling you how their life circumstances got better when they came to Christ, because they didn't. If you read Hebrews 11, you find that they were persecuted, they were sawn in two, they were destitute, they went about as in sheepskins and goatskins, they lived in holes in the ground and in caves. It says they were men of whom the world was not worthy. Their circumstances did not get any better when they came to Christ, yet they worshiped. They continued to worship him. I want to ask you to stand with me uh, if you're able. And as we sing these last songs, I want to encourage you uh, not to just sing, not to merely sing. I want to encourage you to worship. God cautions us about uh, honoring him with our lips while the heart is far from him. So this morning, uh, maybe like Isaiah, uh, let him show you the weight of your sin. The weight of the crap in your heart. Let him show you uh, all that he's accomplished on your behalf. I mean, just to, it's just weighty. It might be uncomfortable, but that's okay. Let him show you the, uh, the weight of sin and your, your uncleanness without him. Not just the consequences of sin, but the weight of sin. Or by contrast, maybe you're like John, just let him show himself to you. Lord, Allow me to see a glimpse of who and what you really are. And your response might be like John, to hit the ground. Your response might be something different. It might be to be quiet, however God has wired you.